as we're recording. Sam, are you ready? I'm ready. Harry, <laughs> watch out. We work with live animals on this show. I'm ready. <clears throat> this is a bad time to develop a cough. You got a feather in your throat? <clears throat> I'm going to cough up an owl. <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Well, howdy, Don. Hey, y'all, I'm Sam. Hey, Sam. I was shaking. I was at the beach last week. So you were shaking sand out your drawers. I'm shaking the sand out. Well, I went in a a curb market on the way down. We stopped in a curb market to get gas, and I looked into the display of the refrigerated section. I was looking for some sparkling water. You found yourself another fireball, didn't you? I did. I, I I was walking with my wife and I said, did you notice that display of MD 2020? She said, no, (laughs) she didn't, (laughs) (laughs) but I did. I was going, it was, it was, it was beautiful. There were uh, five different kinds of MD 2020 in little pocket bottles that you fit in your back pocket. Each one of them was six deep, each a different jewel tone color of a different flavor of MD 2020. And uh, Man, the detail with which you were recalling this is a little unsettling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, maybe. But so she said, well, did you think uh, how horrible you that always would make you feel when you drank that? I was going, no, actually, no, that wasn't what I thought. I thought I've never tasted those flavors. They only had grape flavor back when I was drinking up and sober, you know, 26 years. And I thought of friends of mine that I got drunk with and really incredible drunks that I had. And then I finally thought, I got to get away from here. I mean, what am I doing? And so I, I left and she said, yeah, you need to get to a meeting tonight. <laughs> there you were. Yeah, instantly, the I, the movie title, Romancing the Stone, popped into my head. I've got there's some snarky thing because you were romancing the, the stoner, romancing the, the drunk. <laughs> um, we we need something there. It's definitely romance. It's incredible because she reacted normally. Like, God, that stuff. Did you think about how sick that makes you? And I mean, it's the worst hangover that you I can managed have to avoid Mad Dog. I totally managed to avoid Mad Dog the, and Richard's Wild Irish Rose when I was drinking. I mean, it'll blow the top of your head off, which is what <laughs> I, I thought of. But also you're sick for 24 hours. And I mean, like so sick that you got to get drunk to get over it. Yeah. Now that I did anyway. <laughs> I mean, I just did it with vodka, but okay. Uh, Cheap vodka. You know, I don't know. I guess I'm an alcoholic. Um, There's one word to remove from that. (laughs) 
I, I'm Don and I'm an alcoholic. Ah, th- there you go. Yes, uh, absolutely. You, you, I mean, we, we identify ourselves, but I, I'll, I'll support your statement very strongly. <laughs> well, it's surprising, you know, after no matter how long you're sober, this stuff can, it can leap on you. It, it, well, yeah. it, it surprised me. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it is one of those things of, um, I'm still powerless over the thought of an, uh, of a drink popping into my head. The cool thing is I have access to power in the next thought. Yeah. Yes. What am I going to do now? Right. That works really well. And I went to a meeting that night and I shared it, you know, and well, you talked with your wife about it. I mean, yeah. you talked with someone who wasn't going to be like, well, yeah, you should get some of that and try it. Yeah. And it was immediately clear that my thinking is abnormal because she <laughs> she had a normal reaction to it. Yeah. Well, we have a guest. We do have a guest. Hi, who are you? I'm Perry. And I'm I'm glad you know that. That that's an important <laughs> thing to know if you're going to be a, a successfully recovered alcoholic. It it helps to know that you are one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. When did you get sober, Perry? Uh, August 25th of 2017. The 24th was my last drink, but uh, I count the 25th because that was my first sober day. That's the way I do it. Me too. Yeah, I count the day that I first went to a meeting. Did you ever drink MD 2020? I did when I was in high school. I was a cheap drunk in high school. What are, are you? What are you calling me? <laughs> you were a cheap drunk in your later life. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you, you always revert back to your beginnings. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing: the, I consider myself a high bottom drunk because I I didn't lose anything when I came to AA. I hadn't lost my family. I hadn't lost my driver's license or had any consequences of any kind. I had a a spiritual collapse, an emotional collapse, and I surrendered. But the truth of the matter is the last week that I got drunk, I drank a bottle of Orange Driver, which is like MD 2020. Um, because I, I always had it and I'd take, you know, I'd, I'd have half a bottle. So I was a cheap drunk from the beginning to the bitter end. Now, I got I got to jump in here real quick too. wasn't it about a year ago? I'm not going to like review the episodes or anything, but I think it was about a year ago. You were talking about Orange Driver having dimmed down at the beach and seen it in the uh, the cabinet or on display. Yeah, it was a curb market and they had something called Flashpoint. That was that cinnamon. Okay. Okay. Cinnamon. Okay. It was you a talked new about one. some Orange Driver. And because this is that time of year where, you know, you might get squirrely, right? Well, yeah, I've got an anniversary coming up. So. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're about to become an even older timer. Yeah. Well, Perry, what happened to you at the very end of your drinking? The last day that you drank, you said, was the 24th? Yes. So um, what happened inside of you that made you decide, I'm going to quit and go to AA? I don't know. I just I just had enough and... and like you were saying uh, earlier, you know, my experience was the, you know, that I didn't lose everything. I didn't, didn't lose a wife, didn't lose a home. Uh, I didn't lose a job. Uh, Of course I worked for my dad. So, you know, it's kind of hard to fire his son, but it was more or less of a, a, I was spiritually bankrupt. I, you know, I just, 
I was a, a shell of a person and I, you know, I accomplished some, some good things in life and, and all of it just seemed, you know, worthless anymore. The things that, that I'd done and the things that I'd felt, you know, proud about and my family was proud of me about and, you know, just all of that stuff was, had just been washed away by, by my drinking. My drinking just pretty much overshadowed any, anything good about me that I felt. Wow. And, um, how do you mean? Well, uh, you know, I, I had a really great career in the Marine Corps. I got out of the Marine Corps in 2014 and pretty much, uh, the reason I got out is it, the Marine Corps was getting in the way of my drinking. <laughs> you can drink in the Marine Corps, can't you? Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's, it's not like back in the old days, you know, where that was kind of a badge of honor, you know, they kind of, you know, frown upon the, the getting in trouble and, and having incidences while you're drinking it pretty much a career ender nowadays. I hadn't gotten any trouble. I, it was just, I, I got promoted to staff sergeant and uh, I was selected for gunnery sergeant in early 2014. And, uh, and I was about to get promoted to a gunnery sergeant. And, you know, with that promotion came a lot more responsibilities and, and, and having to be in, be around more higher ups and, you know, around people that were drinking and my behavior behind drinking was, was unacceptable. It was so, going to show up. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was going to show up sooner, sooner than later. My peers and, and it was okay around them, but you know, it wasn't okay with the, with the higher up, so to speak. So, and, and I'd gotten by, I'd gotten by, gotten away with a lot of stuff, you know, behavior and, um, I figured it was, I, you know, I, I better cut my losses and, and get out. Wow. Before I did get in any kind of serious trouble. If you're willing to share, can you describe an incident where you did something that is like, uh, I shouldn't have done that. I wish I hadn't done that. Uh, extracurricular relationships with other women in my marriage. Um, oh. Definitely. Um, I Probably the last three to four years of my drinking, I probably never drew a sober breath. And I was always driving. I've gotten in, in, in near accidents where, you know, I could have could have hurt or even killed someone. I was coming in the drill one morning and, and I was still drunk from the night before. And I, I was pulling into the gate at our reserve unit. And uh, this is on Western Boulevard, right in front of North Carolina State University. And I'm pulling into the unit and I don't know, I guess I was going 35, 40 miles an hour and there was a line going into the entrance and I was just oblivious to it. Came in probably just a couple of inches from slamming in the back of someone. I was definitely way over the legal limit. I was, I was still drunk. That, that would have not been good. You know, being in the area that it's in, usually if a Marine or any person in the military gets in trouble, that's the front headline. U.S. Wow. Marine gets in an accident. Army soldier gets in an accident. Airmen in the Air Force gets in an accident. You know, those are the first words that they put out when when we get in trouble. So it's it's pretty pretty public. Yes. Yeah. So that was in 2014 that you yes. left, though, correct? But it wasn't yeah. until 2017 that you got sober. So so what yeah. happened? between 2014 and 2017 that, uh, that took you to that point of getting sober? 
I work in the family business with my dad. He, he owns a, a tree service and uh, I'm, I'm third generation in that company. Uh, my grandfather started it back in 1955. I started back working immediately with my dad. Those three years were just, I mean, everything just started going downhill. My working relationship and personal relationship with my dad was just, it was going downhill. Um, I have a son, he's uh, 22 years old right now. And, uh, you know, that was kind of a, a an important point in his life. He was about to graduate high school. Um, he was on a wrestling team. Um, you know, just a lot of things going on in his life where I should have been there as a dad and, and I wasn't. You could feel that or you were totally ignoring it or was it like, no, I could feel it. I mean, I was there in the physical, but you know, to support him emotionally, no, I wasn't, I wasn't there. And that, that becomes pretty, something pretty heavy to, to carry, I would think. Yes. Yeah. My, my son is just, he's the most important person in my life. I don't know. And we've always had a tight bond, but those last three or four years, we just kept getting farther and farther apart. And, and I was losing him. I was losing his respect. It was a horrible thing inside the field that I'd lost that respect for my son. I can identify with this. Were you trying at the end to stop, to control it? Or did you just say, I'm an alcoholic, I've got a drink and I wish this wasn't the case. There's two ways to approach, you know, I, into my drinking, I locked down on it and tried to drink normally and failed. And that's when I came to AA. What, what happened to you? Yeah. I had a couple bouts where, you know, my wife would get on me really heavy or I would just get really drunk one night and embarrass her, embarrass myself and, or, and anybody else around me. And, and of course I'd wake up the next day, you know, with all those feelings you know, embarrassment and just, you know, wanting to cl- crawl in the hole and not come out. And then, you know, I always, like the book talks about, you know, I made that sound re- resolution to myself, to her and, and anyone else who was willing to listen that I was not going to do that again. And it never lasted more than a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. The, the minute I, that I yeah. felt better or I knew I could, my, my stomach would hold some alcohol down. I was right back at it. It's real easy to let go of those solemn resolutions, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah God, I man, I did it too. And, and, you know, the last few months, you know, it was pretty much in every morning I woke up, I would say, this is the day I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this again today. My job is only five, 10 minutes down the road from where I go to work. I, I wouldn't even make it to our shop before I would reach in my back seat and grab a 24 ounce can and pop the top on it and down to before I even got to work. Make a resolution. You're not going to drink, but be sure you've got some in the back seat. Just in case. (laughs) Just in case. So did you know about AA? Had you ever been to AA or, or when you got sober, was that your first meeting? No, uh, I'd gotten sober, um, back in 2002 I was sober for about five years. Um, just a little backstory on that. I went to Hope Valley up in Dobson, North Carolina. That's where I got sober at the first time and this time. So I went there and, and uh, when I got out of treatment, they hooked me up with someone in AA in Greensboro. And, and I probably went to two, about two or three months, maybe. I got into church and uh, that's where I planted my feet at. Um, 
like after about those two or three months in AA, I didn't, I got my feet planted in a church and I didn't go back to AA, but I, I did have pretty good sobriety within those, in those five years. So you had five, five years not going to AA? Yeah, I stayed, yeah, I stayed sober um, through church and, you know, through God. And that's, um, that's what I did. But what happened? Because you started going to AA. I got in a relationship with a married woman. I ended up being a part of, uh, you know, breaking up a, a marriage. And uh, oh. and so uh, me and her stayed together and uh, she got pregnant. We found out that our son was going to have uh, Down syndrome. She carried him full term. Uh, I was up in uh, Quantico, Virginia, uh, training to go on my first deployment to Iraq. I got a call while I was there that she was having some problems and um, she ends up going to the hospital and, and we lose Isaiah at, at birth. Some other things that were going on in our relationship just came to a head and it was a pretty bad breakup and I ended up deploying to Iraq a couple months later. And so I carried all that baggage with me to Iraq. There was no resolve in that relationship, no resolve. And my emotions with, with losing my son, um, I didn't grieve over it. I just put it in a corner in the back of my head and, and left. But it, but you didn't drink? No. Did you want to drink? I ne- it never even crossed my mind. But we were coming back from Iraq, and I was on the plane, and uh, we were probably about 30 minutes from landing in uh, Cherry Point. And the thought just came in my mind, you know, it was everybody on the plane a couple hundred Marines on the plane and, and, you know, everybody's like, you know, we can't wait till we, we hope we can get there and, and see our families and, you know, go get some beer and stuff before it gets too late. That's when that thought came in my mind. I just said, I'm a drink. There was like no debating it. No, like should or shouldn't I, I'm an alcoholic. I, you know, none of that, none of that stuff crossed my mind. It was like, I first defense. And it uh, sounds like you were swept up in the moment and in, in the energy yeah. of your fellow Marines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That night, my mom, my aunt, and my son had came to to welcome me home. And uh, and they my mom had got two hotel rooms that night. I remember that night vividly. We were all in the hotel room and uh my son's playing with all my gear and stuff, and you know, he's all happy to see his dad and you know, he's putting on my flak jacket and my Kevlar and he's like, his dad, is this what you look like? And, you know, he's just all elated that his dad's home. And, and, uh, how old is he and, at this time? Yeah. He's around six or seven. I remember the thought in my head was, I can't wait till he goes to sleep. I can't wait till he tires himself out oh. because it's getting close to two o'clock. There's a store, a convenience store right across the parking lot. And that was the only thing that was in my mind was I couldn't even enjoy that moment because that thought had already got in my mind and, and mm. that obsession was there. And for folks who uh, don't have to deal with the laws that are uh, like that in North Carolina, in North Carolina, alcohol, alcohol sales stop at 2 a.m. So that's, that's why two o'clock is important there. Yeah. Perry, that's, uh, I hear you. I had a similar experience with my son at when he was like three and he had chronic earaches, he would start crying late at night and I'd be drinking and painting in my studio. I'm an artist. 
And I'd hear him start crying and I would be, I'd go, oh no, I cannot believe he's doing this to me because this means I'm going to have to drive to the 24 hour drugstore and get him pain medicine. And I'm drunk and I'm going to get a DUI if I still go drinking. And then I would have revulsion at myself for not caring about him that my first response was, Oh no, I can't believe he's doing this to me. Oh, it's a horrible feeling because of drinking holding that inside. You know, that's the part of the stuff that I'm ashamed of myself and it's all related to alcohol. It's totally that place where alcohol really does become our top priority, even if we don't want it to be. Yeah. Yes. More than love for yeah. our children. Well, listen, all right. So that's what it was like. And it sounds pretty miserable. Yeah. What's it like today? Oh, uh, life is great today. You know, all those relationships that I did some pretty heavy damage to, you know, they, they've been restored. Um, you know, me and my dad, this is the best we've ever gotten along, working relationship and personal. My wife, she just got diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of the year. You know, she's went through uh, radiation and chemotherapy. She just got a call from her doctor two weeks ago that she was cancer free. All right. You know, the blessing with that, of course, you know, her being cancer free. And she told me a couple of times when she was going through the chemo that she don't know how she could have gotten through this or went through this had I been drinking. Yeah, certainly not. Yeah, we we get to show up for for people today. Yeah. And um, I mean, that that's to me, that's one of the biggest blessings that's, you know, in my life today is is being able to be there for people. I'm really involved with, with my recovery and, and, and helping other people get recovered. And, you know, I volunteer at the local treatment center. Um, I was asked to be on the board of, at Hope Valley where I went to treatment at, and I'm serving in that capacity there. You know, I was able to, to help out during the pandemic because I kept working. I was able to help them out financially and, and do some things around there, uh, and, you know, I would never be able to repay that place for what they've done for me. And, you know, just the people in AA that were there, you know, when I first got here, when I first started going to meetings, you know, I, I owe the fellowship a great deal of gratitude. And my son, he's trying to start his own business. And I've, you know, been able to to be there and help, you know, support him and, and give him advice and how to get customers and how to keep customers and but is he going to be the competition now? <laughs> no, no, actually, uh, he's, he does not. He does not like tree work, and uh, <laughs> said I, he. Does, I can understand. <laughs> yeah, he he does not want to work with uh with me and my dad. <laughs> Perry, what what's one of the steps that is was pivotal for you? I mean, you had evidently no problem with the God steps. You were involved in the church for a long time. Yeah. But then you came back to AA. What would you say? Was it in the amends? Was it in the inventory? Where was it in the steps that you discovered something about yourself that you didn't know? 
I tell you, uh, step three was one of those steps that I had to go back and, and, and revisit. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives yeah. into the care of God as we understood him. Yeah, um, because I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm, I'm kind of hard-headed. And, uh, <laughs> and Yeah, and, that, I think that pretty much describes alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> And, and I do like to do things my way. And um, I, I had to go back and, and revisit that one. And, and actually, I made it, you know, something that that I go back to every every day. And, uh, and how how do you turn your will and your life over? What, what does that mean to you? For me, it's just it's kind of just going with the flow and 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 allowing people to be where they're at allowing myself to be where I'm at to, you know, to be okay where I'm at today. If, if it's not a great day for me, I just have to take a step and back and say, well, maybe this is a learning experience and not God or anyone else trying to, trying to rain on my parade, so to speak. If it's a, if the day's not going well, I just, you know, just, take a step back and say, well, that maybe God is throwing something out there that, that I need to learn, learn from, you know, maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. Quit fighting. Yeah. Uh, another step that I, that I love working and, and love understanding is, is step 10. Um, Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Again, um, I'm, you know, a garden variety drunk and, I don't like admitting my wrongs uh, to mm-hmm. anyone, sometimes mm-hmm. to even myself. You know, I even try to play God in my own head and justify things. And and I, I catch myself doing that a lot. And, you know, me and my sponsor, we just uh, we just finished up, uh, dropped the rock and, uh, and, you know, went through uh, step six and seven. And, you know, I learned a lot about actually step 10 in that in that book as well. Um, it's it's got some good stuff in there about step 10 too and uh and the ripple and the ripple effect that that book is we're just we've just started on that one but um yeah step 10 is is a great is a great step for me as well you know that that daily growth and and recognizing those things and 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 pointing them out and and putting those fires out immediately um it's surprisingly freeing isn't it? It just yeah, kind of yeah. like takes a weight off my shoulders whenever instead of trying to cover up or just ignore this thing that I did or didn't do or whatever, owning it and trying to make things right it, it's, as soon as I'm aware of it. Instead of yeah. waiting for it to go away. Or running a few thousand miles away from it. There you go. <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm a poster boy for no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> ah, that's right. You know, I was first introduced to that statement by Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> well, also, it's where it works both ways. Wherever you are, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that was a very old timer thing to say there, Don. <laughs> there you go. And and of course, step twelve. I mean being of service to others and, 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 you know, and, and continuing to grow and, and actually, you know, seeing the program working for you is just amazing. And, and seeing it working in other people's lives is, is equally, if not more amazing. 
too. Yeah, that that could, that really lights me up. Yeah, yeah when, that is a, a fantastic observation because I mean it's so true. To uh, I think it says that to to see the lights come on in their eyes or something yeah. like that. It is so true. It is amazing to see someone else get this. Yeah, and and to to get to play a part in helping them get there. What a treat, what a gift we get to have in doing that. And it sounds so, my God, if I were a, a brand new to AA and I heard somebody saying that, I'm like, my God, what platitudes, this guy, well, this guy's just, but it's so true. It's true. Perry, you were talking about uh, the Hope Valley and all you wanted to repay to these people that had, had helped you out. I remember working with my sponsor and I was like going, this guy's meeting with me all the time we're going through making a, a fourth and fifth step going through my character defects. And I, it's like going to a therapist and it's not costing me $75 an hour. He's doing it for free. And I was like, going, I got, what can I do for you? Because I mean, I can't believe you're spending all this time with me. And he was going, you're not going to don't, you're not, don't do anything for me. You're going to help somebody else sometime. And that's the way you'll pay me back. And that's what the 12th step is that you're talking about. But then the cool thing was when you started helping someone else, you realized that the payback that he was getting yeah. was in the moment working he, with you. He was getting it. Yeah, he was good <laughs> because man, I was hopeless. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't have a clue how to stay sober one day at a time. And it's incredible when newcomers come in and it's so easy to see from perspective of being sober for a while, you got to let go. You got to let go of that thing. You can't control that person. You can't control that job. And so if you'll just let that, let that go, ask higher power for help, you can get through the next hour. And I don't think I can. I think, he, I think you can do it. And they do. And, and yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember in the beginning, uh, what my first sponsor, I used to say all the time, you don't, I would always say, well, you don't understand. I, I work in a family business. I work with my dad. You don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. I, I'm a Marine with three combat deployments. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was always saying, you don't understand. And he would just, he'd just sit back and say, okay. <laughs> That's like a sponsor's magic word. Okay. <laughs> are you sponsoring people now uh not at the moment i'm not no. yeah i was uh getting up getting quite a few sponsees you know through volunteering at the local treatment center they used to do a, a panel thing on sunday mornings yeah that's a, a cool couple. meeting thing that they've got going on that panel yeah yeah i loved it it was that's cool. If, if it's the way it was when I was going, it uh, the uh, the guests at that treatment facility uh, come up with three questions that were written yeah. up on a board, and then members of the recovery community come in for this uh, this panel meeting and share on those questions. Yeah, it's uh, anywhere between eight eight to ten questions is what they would have up. And oh wow! We would it, you know say it was a panel of like ten or fifteen, you know. We would just take turns and we would pick whichever one we wanted to. And, you know, like there were some that I couldn't, didn't have any experience on like uh, recovery houses and, you know, halfway houses and stuff like that, because, you know, or uh, uh, aftercare, after treatment, um, 
you know, stuff like that. I, I didn't have any experience because I went straight back to work. I went to work the day after I got out of treatment, you know, just jump right back into life. And um, what would you, what would you tell somebody who's about to get out of treatment? What did, what did you do to stay um, sober after you got out of treatment? I mean, you jumped back into it, right back into work, right back into the family structure that I'm sure was tense. I just, I put my recovery first. I, I listened to the people at the treatment center. Um, they told me what I needed to do and I needed to listen to what, to people that had long-term sobriety because I had no clue how to live sober. I absolutely had no clue. So I was like a sponge in, in treatment and in those early months of sobriety, you know, I pretty much listened to what anybody told me that made sense anyway. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. It, it, it really is, though. I mean, it, it is that it, it always comes back to me. The, the way I hear it, and the way I say it is I've got to do this someone else's way. That's yeah, right. because if I try to do it my way, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I did the 90 and 90 and, and uh, 90 meetings and, and 90 days. Yeah. And, and I got a I got a sponsor as soon as I could. And, and um, I didn't. I didn't meddle around with getting a sponsor. I, I need, I knew I needed to get right into the steps and, and, and we jumped right in the steps and, and we worked the steps, you know, like the, as the book prescribes, you know, when we got through steps three, we, we um, rigorously jumped into a course of action and, and, you know, I did steps four and five and, and we kept on moving. Mm -hmm. and, and you were willing to do it someone yeah, else's way. That was the first thing my, my first sponsor asked me. He said, are you willing to go any lengths to, to live sober and live a sober life? And I, and I said, yes. Did he ask you to stand on your head and gargle peanut butter? Uh, no, I didn't get that one. <laughs> How that about was... push a grape up a hill with your nose? <laughs> no, I didn't get any of those. But however, <laughs> I was in the... I was in the Marine Corps and we did do our troops like with stuff like that sometimes. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> good preparation for Alcoholics I, Anonymous, the Marine I, Corps. I, I have, I have told people to go look for a, a blinker fluid and, and uh, <laughs> light fluid and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and they did, and they did, they did exactly what I told them. <laughs> oh man. Perry, that, thank you so much for all of this. This is absolutely wonderful. Don't go anywhere, though. Uh, but you might want to watch your head because this, this owl, it, it gets feisty sometimes. <laughs> oh, it seems rather well behaved today. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, spam, it's still <laughs> one day at a time. That's the way it works. I am not processed meat. Thank you very much. You can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Fred in dot, dot, dot. Uh, <laughs> How does AA work with no one in charge? It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Don. And <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it's it, it seems to be the case doesn't it i mean it's i thought it, it, at first that the people that were running the meeting the guy whoever was chairing the meeting was the one in charge and nope that's not who's in charge the group is in charge and and god's in charge like to have a group conscience to make a decision of what the group needs to do in the future, like do we need to move to a new location? Then we get a group conscience and everyone comes to uh, a decision of some kind and it can be feisty coming to that decision, (laughs) like that feisty owl, but it happens and it, it's really people being willing to, like Perry was talking about, not fight, but listen to each other and come to a consensus. It, you know, it really is remarkable. Now, there is an AA structure that after you're around AA for a while, it's a good idea to start paying attention to because it doesn't really happen by magic. There are people who are volunteering to do things like oversee the publications, the books, and somebody's got to make a decision on those things. It's incredible how little structure there is to AA for it all to work. That's, I think I'm going to stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Don. Perry. Uh, how does AA work with no one in charge? That that is a good question. Um, to be frank, I, I have absolutely no idea. I just go to meetings and 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 try to be of service and and anywhere I can and you know wherever God puts my feet. And uh, I think that pretty much everybody else in AA wants to do the same. And and to me, that's how it works. You know people trying to be sober one day at a time. And um, Don mentioned it earlier, you know, God has his hand in it. You know, I had an estranged relationship when I first got here with, with God and, uh, and you people led me back to God. Yeah. I think it's probably 99% God and and the rest of it is, is people's willingness to stay sober. Dude, I got chills with that answer. That's a good answer. No, so, so how does AA work with no one in charge? You know, I mean, it, it's all volunteer. Now, yeah, there are some paid people who who work in the offices of AA because that's that's their job. Um, but the vast majority of AA work is done by volunteers, by people people who are alcoholics who have gotten sober in AA. And my God, what a bunch! of self-centered, selfish people who have actually found that not being self-centered and not being selfish really is a rewarding thing. And so, you know, for me, AA works with no one in charge because of very much what you said, Perry, people wanting to be of service. And God is, is a part of all of this. And in doing this, I mean, quite frankly, it feels good. Yeah. It feels good to help this thing exist and thrive. And what I love is AA has been around for 70 some years and it's not just survived, it thrives. And it is based on traditions. I mean, the traditions, Don, that you brought up, um, they came about from experience of the early people. 
who found, well, you know, trying to control this, trying to do things, trying to force this, uh, this, these things didn't work. And they found that ultimately uh, the unity of our fellowship was the primary thing that we needed to have in place, which is addressed in our first tradition, that we need to protect and help this thing stay and grow. And that's what we do. And, and the other thing is alcohol will kick your ass. So if you try to stray too far, you try to take control, you try to do this, that, or the other stuff, alcoholism kicks in and people wind up getting drunk or getting pissed off and leaving and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it requires working as part of that consensus that you were talking about, Don, of that group conscience. It requires being a part of this fellowship not being the leader of the fellowship. That's the hardest part, not taking control. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've taken control of meetings. It didn't work out well. I had to back off. Not being the actor trying to set the stage and the lights and control all the other actors. <laughs> I've always wondered, it's a colorful expression, bleeding deacon. Oh yeah. <laughs> we become elder statesmen or bleeding deacon. That's right. I'd rather be an elder statesman because I just get blood all over the place if I'm not. <laughs> Make a mess. Who's been bleeding all over these chairs? <laughs> so the boiled owl, we, we know that that's a, a reference to the big book. And it's, you know, then Don, that you're all about the obscure references and all that. The only other instance that we have found about boiled owl out there, at least in modern time, is a pub in England called the boiled owl, right? Right. Well, I've got a friend who posts uh, entries from his uh, aunt's um, diaries uh, from, from the 40s and such in the 50s. And she's talking about she went to Bucket of Blood for a beer with someone. <laughs> And that, so bucket of blood is like what an awesome name for a pub yeah oh, all right let's go <laughs> sorry toss, but i had to throw that one in let's go <laughs> toss back a few at bucket of blood <laughs> let's, let's get boiled as an owl at bucket of blood <laughs> harry thanks for being with us today absolutely perry thank you so much this has been a, a lot of fun Yes, I have. Thank you. Don't get any blood on anything. Yeah, yeah. Watch out because uh, here comes those talons again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. well aside from that um anything goes uh you can cuss like a sailor if you cuss like a sailor uh and um if wait a minute point, wait a minute perry weren't you a sailor uh yes i was okay <laughs> all right you know how to cuss like a sailor <laughs> and a marine <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, 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 okay. Doubly blessed. <laughs> You've heard you need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Who has the time? Don't these people in recovery know how important you are? You need Sponsor Schmonsers Speed Recovery System. At the Sponsor Schmonser Company, we know how valuable your time is. Order our new product, Speed Recovery. 90 meetings in 90 minutes. That's right. 90 meetings in only 90 minutes. You receive our cassette tape of 90 speaker meetings. That's 90 old-timers all talking at once. 90 hours of wisdom compacted into only 90 minutes. Unbelievable. Listen to this sample. Incredible. The recovery just pours into your brain. 90 topics on every subject, all at the same time. Don't have 90 minutes? Just increase the playback speed to increase the recovery. Don't miss the miracle just because of your busy schedule. Order Sponsor Schmonsers Speed Recovery System today. 90 meetings in 90 minutes, only 90 bucks. Sponsor Schmonser and all its products are not approved by Alcoholics Anonymous, and since they are not real, they probably will not work.